Hey everyone and welcome to another episode of the Freedom Warrior podcast. I'm super excited about today's episode where I interview my dear friend Chris Gray. Now many of you may have heard of Chris, he's uh, been a host on Sky News for many years. Uh, he's a, an outspoken advocate of property investing and an expert in the area of developing property portfolios in the Australian market. Now what I love most about Chris is he's known and has had a lot of publicity in the media around his love of fast cars, his enjoyment of the finer things in life. But what I really love about Chris is he, he tends to ham that up a little bit. He's actually, when you peel all of that back, an extremely down-to-earth guy. Um, he is someone who's a little bit, funnily enough, ambivalent about the idea of having or not having um, you know, all of the trimmings that go with having wealth. But above all else, I think what he values, as many of us do, is that freedom around how he spends his time. So I hope you enjoy today's episode and I look forward to seeing you on the other side. Chris, great to have you on. Thanks for joining Thanks us. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Well, look, I have um, some really great questions that I want to ask you today, but um, I think it'd be great for our listeners if you could give a, a quick overview about who you are and what you do with your business. Yeah, sure. So basically an accountant, uh, started off investing in the UK at 22, worked out it was cheaper to buy a three bedroom house than a one bedroom unit because I could rent two rooms out to two mates. So even though I had a mortgage seven times my income and it was more than my wages, I effectively uh, lived for free. Um, so I duplicated that a few times, used the equity, got myself a free Porsche as well, which is another story, uh, 24. And that was the motivation. And so I basically learned that even though I was a skilled professional, then there was a lot easier ways to making money. And um, yeah, I was, I was working full time, studying accounting at night school in London but making more money from property right from the early days. So basically came to Australia, by the age of 31, I was at Deloitte, so I was making 600 grand a year passively from property growth and uh, 60 after tax at Deloitte. And so uh, retired out of Deloitte, especially when um, I tried to salary sacri sacrifice the 355 convertible Ferrari <laughs> and they worked out the fringe benefits tax was more than my wages. And I was so low down in Deloitte, they couldn't understand that they were the million dollar partners and they couldn't afford a Ferrari, whereas the office junior could. Um, so basically from there, I, I didn't really work for, for, for long. And um, a lot of people asked me how I did it. And I was doing um, working as an extra on a set and 20 bucks an hour. And I got a lead into hosting a channel nine show or co-hosting a show called uh, my home TV that led on to sky business where I've been for 10 years, um, uh, hosting a show, interviewing all the property experts, and basically now I, I help educate people, but a lot of wealthy people come to me and say, look, I don't want to learn how to do it, just do it for me. So I've got a buyer's agency and we help build them property portfolios. And we've done that since about 2008. Yeah, wow, that's, a, that's such a terrific story, Chris. And um, I think one of the things that kind of came to my mind as you were sharing just then is to some degree, it seems that your foray into wealth was almost accidental. Um, it wasn't like you had some burning ambition from age five to, to be a property investor. Can you tell me a little bit about, you know, what kind of lessons did you glean from your parents about money and wealth and, and how did that help you on your journey? Sure. So look, my dad was a heart physician uh, from Cambridge University. Mum was a nurse. So, but they, they worked for the public health service. So even though they were well off and high income, 
they weren't like um, uh, Harley Street kind of rich, so it wasn't kind of mega wealth or anything. And they were pretty pretty conservative. They weren't flashy. They weren't money spenders or anything like that. Uh, I think when my dad passed away ten years ago, he his car was a VW Golf GTI that was about twenty five years old that had been ridden off by insurance. And he said, "No, nah, I can fix it. It's fine." <laughs> um, so the main thing was we'd just been brought up that rent money's dead money, and you should your own own your own house. So I'd done some travelling. My mum uh, gave me a midnight curfew when I came back. And I said, stuff it, I'm leaving home. So in hindsight, <laughs> I hated it, but um, that was the best thing she could have ever done for me. So maybe I've got to do that to my, my kids. And so that got me on the home, home kind of uh, hunting journey. And I knew nothing about properties. I remember seeing one that was next to a commercial car park in uh, close to town. And I knew it was different, but is it good or bad? So a commercial car park, it's noisy, it's dirty, which isn't a good thing but there's no parties going on in there. So Saturday night, you're not going to get woken up by the neighbors. <laughs> so it was those kind of things that I didn't really know. And I, I kind of lucked into it, but I probably saw a hundred properties and I found this beautiful one. So I always joke that you could go to the local pub, get drunk, roll down the hill and you'd end up on the doorstep. And that, that made it the perfect house. <laughs> um, and it was a very cool bachelor pad. No one would have a dream of ever owning it. And I just thought, that's what I want. And I set a goal and I thought, how do I make it work? And so my skill base, even though I'm known as the property guy, my skill base is actually logic and numbers and no emotion. That's, I think that's what I stand for. Yeah. And so I just logically, I'm good with numbers, not great as an accountant, but basic numbers. And I just thought one bedroom unit, this is the cash flow, can't afford it. I won't be able to go out. But if I can get three bedrooms and I can rent two out, I live for free because the rents then were about 12%. Yep. I didn't even know what a mortgage rate was. I wouldn't know what a yield is. I didn't even know until my 30s what a yield was or a percentage of a mortgage. I had no idea. I just knew the dollar value of money coming in, money going out. And so I made it work. And I've done that for the last 30 years pretty much. Yeah, I love that. I think one of the things I've grown to appreciate about you, Chris, is this idea of, um, I think you really edify this concept of non-attachment. So mm. you're very almost, yeah, unemotional about the numbers and they just, they're, they're a means to an end. But let me ask you this, um, you know, I think a lot of people would look at you and they would say, wow, he has it so easy. You know, his life is super easy. How would you respond to that? Look at my haircut. I've had a lot of stress <laughs> in my life. Um, so look, I am probably known as being kind of one of the lifestyle kings in a way that I do a lot of stuff. So I go overseas maybe 10 or 15 times a year, uh, business or first class, but there's always a, a side to it. So I fly all this time, but I run my business on American Express. So I fly for free on frequent flyer points. Yep. Um, I live in, a, in like a $5 million place. We've been in kind of five to $10 million places, but we rent. So we haven't owned our own home, even though I've got wife and kids. Um, I've actually just sold my Lamborghini. So I bought a 750 grand Lamborghini, but I paid 250 because it was eight years old. I've had it for seven years. Um, I did 50,000 Ks in it and I've just sold it for 290. So I've sold it for $40,000 more than I paid for it seven years ago. So I've just got a bit of a knack of doing some of these things, but my life is, is pretty free. So I've got nothing on today. Uh, tonight I've got drinks for a car rally I'm doing in Rockhampton through the Outback. Um, 
So I've got a pretty easy life, but what I say with my wife, because she obviously says, look, most husbands go out to work and you're always drinking and partying and having fun. And I said, yeah, I don't do 40 to 60 hours, but the weight I carry is the weight of debt. So I've been in debt since I was, I think, 17, even though legally you can only do it at 18. Um, my debt's around 10 or $11 million now. Um, and I've got that weight. So if interest rates go up a percent, it costs me another 100 grand a year. When we had the APRA changes and the second and third tier banks put up their rates, I went from cash neutral to minus 350 grand a year. Now, people don't earn 350 grand, let alone find a lazy 350 on top of living as well. So that's the burden I carry, but I'm reasonably comfortable with that. And I'd rather carry the burden of debt rather than carry 60 hour kind of working weeks and stuff. Yep. So in other words, you, you know, it, it, it is an easy life, but you've built it that way, but it does come with a price tag. Yeah. The, the price tag is stress and stuff like that. And look, as, as life goes on, then I have good times and I have bad times and it's all manageable. So I put myself in this situation. I don't need to leverage this high. I could leverage a lot less. Um, I'm not gearing more now or I'm gearing more just to have more equity, but I'm not necessarily buying more property because I don't need any more money and I don't need any more debt. So I was comfortable with this kind of level. I live with it and if something goes wrong, I've only got myself to blame. But um, that's my skill is I'd rather kind of leverage money than uh, kind of work too hard. What, what sort of lessons do you try to impart to your children about money? I mean, do you talk openly about your strategies and what you've done? Um, do well, you think they'll try yeah. and repeat, repeat what you do? Look, I spent quite a few years going to a lot of ultra high net worth. So these are people in the billions, they're kind of conferences. And the biggest issue that Australian wealthy people have is how to make your kids not turn into spoiled brats and teach them the value of money. And I don't think anyone's got the answer yet. Um, but there is a good book out there from, I think, a US speaker called uh, Mummy Are We Rich? That's got some uh, good stories in there. But look, I don't know how I'm going to teach my kids. I mean, we're pretty strict with our kids. Um, but from a money perspective is they went to school by Ferrari and Lamborghini and stretch limousine. Um, <laughs> they go to school down in Double Bay. It's very hard that, sure, my cars are old and stuff like that. And um, that my kids aren't into the cars. But it's very hard to teach them the value of money when they've got 360 degree views around Sydney and, and they've got all these fancy cars and boats and stuff like that. But look, we are strict on, on them and we're trying to teach them the value of money. I was, I was playing Monopoly with my son the other day. He's got this, there's a new card game of Monopoly, which I've actually got to work seriously hard to try and beat my 12 year old son. So I don't hold anything back and at times he beats me. But we're talking about the property and saying, well, who wins this game? Well, it's the person with the properties because they're then getting the rents in and then they get the set and then you win the game. And then I said, well, you know, that's what daddy does. So daddy's got all these properties and I have rents coming in, so I don't need to go out to work like most of the other daddies and things like that. And so then he's saying, oh, well, I'll, I'll inherit that. And I said, well, <laughs> yes, nice, nice to think of that, but they've got mortgages. Oh, what's a mortgage? And so we go down this whole journey and the rest of it. And then I talk about spending my equity and there might not be any left, but I use the equity to pay for the school fees and the ski trips and whatever else. So look, hopefully they will get educated. And I said, read my book and you might be able to get some property. But it's, it's a very hard thing, I think. Yeah, look, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, you can be as hard on your kids as, as you like, but um, they're still not recognising in some cases that they, they don't live like the rest of the world. Yeah, so look, we've done some of the classic charity things of um, 
kind of feeding the homeless or the needy and getting them cooking lunches and things like that. So um, we do a reasonable amount of charity stuff. So um, hopefully they'll start seeing more and more of that of, as they get older. Yeah, look, absolutely. Look, I, um, I'd love to ask you a, a question that maybe, you know, maybe you haven't thought of this or maybe people have asked you in a different way, but, you know, you've geared very heavily. You've been fairly aggressive with the building of your own wealth. Um, you've certainly enjoyed it along the way as well. What do you think will change for you over the next three to five years as you kind of change into a another evolution of, of Chris Gray? Like, do you see yourself trying to like de-risk or make things easier? Where do you see yourself moving? Sure. So look, the main stage of wealth creation is building the asset base. So when I got out of work at um, 31, I had about three and a half million in property, six properties growing at 100 grand a year in the boom. So that was all good. I couldn't spend 600 grand as a 31 year old. But what I soon got to realize is when you don't work, then you're spending 24 seven. And also I soon got to realize that the property market doesn't go up forever. And so it obviously changes as well. So that's when I realized I needed to get my asset base beyond three and a half million. And so then the target was ideally about 10 million or something like that, because I thought, look, if it grows at 5% a year, 500 grand a year, maybe half that, call it 250, then that should be enough to live on. Yep. So the main thing was getting the asset base up to that, even if it was 10 million of assets and 10 million of debt, then it's a case of deleveraging, but not by paying a dollar off. It's more wait for the property market effectively to jump from 10 to 20 million, your debt's still 10, and then you're only 50% geared, your positive cash flow or neutral cash flow. So that's what I'm trying to do now. So I think my portfolio, depending on the market, could be... I don't know, 17, 18 mil or so, and my debt's around 10 or 11. The idea is still to gear to about 70 or 80 if I can, but it's really hard with these um, serviceability and APRA stuff now. But the idea is, is if you've then got maybe five or six million in offset account, which you're not paying for, that's the ability that you can live off it. But also, if everything went wrong, you've got 500 grand a year for 10 years, and I believe the kind of property, so I only buy kind of blue chip inner city properties, um, secondhand, and I think that's pretty stable, is it's really then, I don't think those will, will ever go down. So I'm happy playing the long game. So, so my real key thing now is having a bigger cash buffer as possible, yep. either in offset or put into different entities with different banks. And then I can sit easy that if business does nothing for a year or two, then it's, it's pretty cool. That's, that's a really great answer. And uh, I think the extension to that that I'd love to ask you is, you know, you have been very um, almost flamboyant about expressing your love of the, you know, the finer things in life from the start. And I think that's what has set you apart. I think a lot of investors kind of maybe skimp and save and compromise their lifestyle when they're trying to get their, their foot in the door, um, thinking, oh, I'll enjoy it later. Um, I guess the question I have for you, which to some degree I, I can get a sense of, but you know, what does financial freedom mean to you and, and, and why does it matter? Sure. So look, I think there's two sides to it. So look, there's a lot of people that have got fast cars and boats and choppers and the rest of it. And I'm pretty much out there and I'd probably hate myself on first in impression. And the funny comment is that I've met quite a few accountants and advisors and they've actually said after the first meeting, you're actually quite a nice guy. I said, oh, thanks for that. Um, <laughs> Because I know the first impression isn't that good, but there's different ways of doing things. So sure, I drive a Lamborghini, it's bright orange, or it used to be bright purple for a while. 
but I don't go around town driving it as, hey, I'm, I'm Flash Harry, this is all cool, let's pick up some chicks kind of thing, is I'm driving it, I've got my kids in the car with a baby seat or something like that, and I'm just going around my day, I just love fast cars. And I don't mind, I'm going for my truck license at the moment. Um, I've got a stretch limousine I take through the Outback, uh, an 85 Cadillac, and then I've got a 1912 Ford Model T, one of the first cars ever made. So I'm not flashing, this is all the money I've got. And if anything, I'm going to older, cheaper cars now. Yeah. Um, but I'm just doing my thing and I love it. And so I think that's a big difference because there's a lot of people, especially on the speaking stage and property, they would have them in the helicopters and the super yachts and the rest of it. Yeah. But I, I just love it. So, so, so that's one thing. Um, so I'm not material for the sake of being material. I, I just love the um, kind of mechanical uh, driving things. The next thing is the ultimate thing to me is freedom and choice. So at the moment, even though we've got a dull room behind me, is I'm looking at the Opera House, I'm looking at um, uh, Rushcutters Bay at all the boats, we've got 360 degree views here. I don't want to work in the city. I don't want to go and commute. I want to look out the window. This week, I've virtually got nothing on. I'm out most evenings. I'm, I'm at networking events and fun events and stuff. Um, and so this is what I love doing. I never want to get up thinking I've got to do something. So I never do anything I don't want to do without being kind of selfish and stuff like that. But I've created a life of just doing the stuff I, I love. I love doing these things. I love doing TV. I love speaking. I love inspiring people. I love doing stuff. But I don't want to do eight hours out on the street looking at property and doing deals with agents that are going to lie to me and whatever else. And I've got other people on my team that are happy dealing with those guys. So what do you say to investors who, for example, maybe starve their lifestyle a little bit thinking, I'll enjoy it later? Yeah, look, it's, it's, it really is balance. Um, I think every week I hear of someone dying, someone having a heart attack, someone having a stroke. There's all this rubbish in the media, like all this borrow stuff at the moment, or it's not necessarily rubbish, but um, yeah, there's stuff going on, is so many people would say, if only I did this. People say, what's on your bucket list? There's nothing on my bucket list because I do it. And my biggest fault is, I guess I've invested too hard but I've also lived very, very hard as, as well. Um, I've never worried about age. I'm 48, about to turn 49 next month. And I'm suddenly thinking, shit, um, I'm almost 50. And my wife's 51, so she's already got that 50 feeling. Um, I'm thinking, for me to go car rallying and skiing and all these stuff, it's not to say you can't do it in your 60s, but I've literally got five or 10 years left to do all this pretty aggressive kind of stuff. So I'm thinking, shit, I want to book more trips. And every time we have a family friend or something that happens, someone has a stroke or someone has whatever, I think, and my wife knows it, I'm going to book another trip. And I just keep booking stuff um, because I just think I could be dead tomorrow. And sure, you, you can't have your life again. So I just think make the most of it. But you've got to have balance. If you go and spend all your money and no assets, the only reason I can do it is because I've built assets from 22 and I've got a big asset base. Yeah, no, power to you, Chris. I, I love your philosophy. And I, I, I think you, in fact, even though on the surface of it, it might seem that you're the lifestyle person, I think you've got a really good balance between the wealth creation and the enjoyment of life, which is, which is just terrific. Look, I'm yeah, just gonna... I've got my gym gear on, but it doesn't necessarily mean <laughs> I'm going to go to the gym. Yeah, <laughs> the newsreader. The yeah. Newsreader look. Yeah, I love that. Uh, look, I just have one last question for you. Um, for those people who are listening who are, you know, budding investors or really avid investors, where do you see the greatest opportunities for those who want to create wealth over the next decade? 
look, my philosophy has always been slow and steady wins the race. So all of the assets I bought are blue chip. Um, I've never tried to time the market. None of them have doubled overnight. Sure, some of them have gone up. Some of them have gone sideways. Some might go down a couple of percent in the bad times. But I'm buying the decade game. I'm buying for 30 or 40 years still. Um, but I'm, at least I'm buying for five or 10 years. And sure, you might have other investments doing bits and pieces on the side. But pretty much 90, 95% of my assets are all in really solid things. I'm probably looking slightly to more diversify now into cash and maybe other things. Just so all my eggs aren't in one basket. But I've basically used my skill to get all my money from that one skill base or that one asset. And now I've got plan B, C's and D's. I've got massive insurances. I pay maybe 70 grand a year on insurance. So that I just know is... Sure, I might pay a million bucks in insurance, but I know if I survive 10 years, I'm going to be wealthy enough from property. So I'm just, I try and hedge my bets and reinvest in myself and insurance and, and other products just to make sure I can almost guarantee that I keep what I've um, worked hard to get. Yeah, I love that. That's, that's terrific. Well, look, that just about wraps it up for today's show. Thank you so much, Chris, for joining me. It's, it's always a pleasure connecting with you. Uh, if you have a question or comment or feedback for Chris, please get in touch, reach out via socials or feel free to send us an email. So thanks again, Chris. Really appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. And I probably need to investigate some of the stuff you're doing. I, need, I probably need some more cash flow in my life. <laughs> Absolutely. Anytime. That'd be terrific. Thank you so much for listening to the Freedom Warrior podcast and a few things before you take off. If you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to hit the subscribe button to avoid missing out on future episodes. And I'd really appreciate it if you could rate and review my podcast to help more people find it. Also, each week I send out a unique email newsletter where I share some of the most cutting edge and interesting things I've found during the week to help you on your journey to financial freedom. And finally, if you're interested in fast tracking towards being financially free, please check out my programs where I help you get onto the path of generating a significant six-figure passive income through investing. If you're interested, head over to freedomwarrior.com.au to find out if it's suitable for you. Till next time, take care. See you on the next episode and bye for now.